from the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins and he did eat locusts and wild honey and he preached saying there cometh one mightier than I after me the latchet of whose shoes I am unworthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission of truth. Thanks for joining me this morning. Today we are resuming our study in the Acts of the Apostles, and we're ready for chapter 19 this morning. A couple of interesting stories in this uh, section here. Uh, we have this little issue where some people, they haven't quite come to the full understanding of what the gospel is. Um, they're very familiar with John, John's baptism, but they haven't uh, received the baptism of Christ. And so Paul's there, and uh, he helps lead them in completion to their salvation and understanding. Then we have this issue where uh, we have these Jewish exorcists who are trying to cast out demons, but they're trying to do it in their own power. And the demons uh, actually respond, and it's a very interesting and wild uh, little story here. Um, and then we have this multitude, this huge crowd, and this pagan situation uh, becomes a very dangerous situation. Um, and uh, we'll get to that as well. So that is kind of what is on the agenda for this morning. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you'll be blessed, that your hearts will be pierced, and uh, that this will help draw you closer to God. So without further delay, let's dig right in. Acts chapter 19, I will be using a decent amount of commentary this morning from uh, Matthew Henry to help us get a deeper understanding of some things that are taking place. All right, let's begin. Book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? 
And they said into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying, and there were all in all about twelve men. All right, please note. Unfortunately, there's a lot of denominations that try to make a big thing out of what's taking place here when it's just a very simple issue. They had heard the message from John the Baptist, uh, and I and I kind of gave you a little uh, at the beginning from Mark, but they hadn't heard the complete gospel message about Jesus. This is why they haven't received the Holy Spirit. It's not like they believed upon the name of Jesus for salvation, believed that he died for their sins and that he rose again three days later, and then they, they still hadn't received the seal of the promise. That's not what's taking place here, but that's what's taught way too often. Here's what Matthew Henry says. Paul at Ephesus found some religious persons who looked to Jesus as the Messiah, and they had not been led to expect the miraculous powers of the Holy Ghost, nor were they informed that the gospel was especially the ministration of the Spirit. But they spake as ready to welcome the notice of it. Paul shows them that John never designed that those he baptized should rest there, but told them that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ, or on Christ Jesus. They thankfully accepted the discovery and were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Ghost came upon them in surprising, overpowering manner. They spake with tongues and prophesied as the apostles and the first Gentile converts did. Though we do not now expect miraculous powers, yet all who profess to be disciples of Christ should be called on to examine whether they have received the seal of the Holy Ghost and his sanctifying and influences and sincerity of their faith. Many seem not to have heard that there is a Holy Ghost, and many deem all that is spoken concerning his graces and comforts to be delusion, of such which may properly be inquired, until what then were you baptized? For they evidently know not the meaning of the outward sign on which they place great dependence. And so if you had any confusion about what was going on there, hopefully that clears it up. I'm sure there'll be some disagreements. Uh, that's my view on it. Continuing on, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some had becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the and disease left them, and evil spirits went out. That's an interesting thing to note, right? God was doing, doing so much through the Apostle Paul 
that they could literally take like a handkerchief of his, take it to someone who had a disease and the disease would leave them, or if they were possessed by devils, the devils would leave. And listen to this, verse 13. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So you have these Jewish exorcists and apparently their motives and their heart or something wasn't right here because they would go and they would tell the demons well, it tells you exactly what they would say. They would say, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So it's not even like their own personal relationship. It's like, you know, the name that Paul uses to cast out demons, let's do that, right? So you can understand why this might be uh, unsuccessful. Let's continue looking at the story here. Verse 14, seven sons of one Sceva a Jewish priest were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming confessing and disclosing their practices. Alright, so real quick, I'm going to read some more commentary for you from Matthew Henry about the situation of the Jewish exorcist and them failing to cast out these demons. Here's what he says. He says it was common especially among the Jews, for persons to profess or try to cast out evil spirits. If we resist the devil by faith in Christ, he will flee from us. But if we think to resist him by using of Christ's name or his works as a spell or a charm, Satan will prevail against us. Where there is true sorrow for sin, there will be free confession of sin to God in every prayer and to man whom we have offended, when the case requires it. Surely if the word of God prevailed amongst us, many lewd, infidel, and wicked books... Okay, that's moving into the next section. So we'll just stop with that part. Um, if we resist the devil by faith in Christ, he will flee from us. But if we think to resist him by using Christ's name or his works or as a spell or a charm, Satan will prevail against us. Now this next section uh, is a continuation of this issue but in a different manner so verse 18 many also of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices so we have we have some people coming and they're confessing their sin of practicing uh, verse 19 and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone and they counted up for the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of, was, of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So you have to understand the significance of this. This is a very pagan culture here in Ephesus. Lots of witchcraft, 
all kinds of things like that. That's probably why you see so much, you know, conversation here about devil possession, demon possession, because those types of practices invite that sort of thing. You see it even in our culture today, believe it or not. You know, paganism had kind of died off, and now it's making a resurgence here in our time where you have people practicing dark arts again, practicing witchcraft again, um, and those sort of things. So people are bringing their, their pagan books and stuff like that, and they're burning it, and the name of Jesus is spreading. And of course, this is going to cause, as it does in every situation in history, when the gospel of Jesus comes in, it starts overturning these pagan things, uh, you get some retaliation, right? You get some pushback. Verse 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, and Achaia saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there occurred no small disturbance, disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines in Artemis, was being no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of silver trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of our people, saying, Gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is, this the, not only is there danger that is this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Okay. So we have this guy. He's a silversmith. He's getting wealthy. His living is made by crafting idols. He's going to the other idol creators and saying, Hey, our business is going in the tank. All these people are believing on Jesus. They're rejecting uh, the goddess. Um, what is it called? The goddess Artemis. So not only is our business being destroyed, but the temple of Artemis is now being considered worthless. we got to do something about this. Verse 28. And when they had heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed one with one, rushed with one accord into the altar, or the Atter, dragging along Gaius and Articus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also some of the, of the Aserics, who were friends of his, sent to him and reportedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So basically, their mob mentality takes over. And they drag in a couple of Paul's companions into this theater. They're chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul's wanting to go in. 
Um, but the rest of the disciples there being, meaning Paul's disciples are holding him back because they know if he goes in there, that he's just going to get torn apart. Okay. So it's a very serious and very dangerous situation. Um, verse 30. So then some were shouting one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hands, Alexander was listening, intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them, all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they're in this theater. These people are losing their minds. For two hours straight, they're chanting, Great is Artemis of the, Defe- of the Ephesians. Verse 35, After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So since there are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of the temple nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have complained against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against them one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. Since there is no real cause for it, and in the connection we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering, after saying this, he dissembled the assembly. So thankfully, the town clerk comes along, the town clerk, and he just kind of speaks to the crowd saying, Hey, we're, you know, our city's in danger of being accused of rioting, which would have been, which would have meant that the Roman Empire would have brought down the hammer, Right. And so he's saying, you're about to get the whole city in trouble. And he reasons with the crowd and gets them to disperse. Uh, so it works out. Uh, but it's just an, it just shows you how that mob mentality can take over. Obviously, there's I think there's some demonic presence happening with that. Again, we see the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. The mob mentality happens everywhere. You know, it's it's like a sickness. It's like an evil spiritual thing that happens and it just causes everyone to, to lose their minds and rationality. And that's what, that's what was happening in this situation. Anyway, interesting story. Um, I hope and I pray that you've been blessed this morning. I, I hope that you're enjoying the podcast and our weekly Bible studies. If you're being blessed by this, please consider just praying for the podcast, uh, praying for its protection, praying for its success, uh, praying that it would go out and pierce hearts and cause many to draw closer to Christ. That's the mission. That's the mission of truth. Thank you to those of you who support it financially. Uh, It's far beyond what I deserve and couldn't do it without you. All right. That's all I have for you this morning. Peace and grace be with all of you, and until next time, God bless.